But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord, you shall agape the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor. You shall agape your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. It's out of Matthew 22. Uh, Entering this year, I will have to say, I never expected for this passage, a passage that uh, over my life I've probably heard hundreds of times and never expected uh, for this to be such a formative passage in my life personally this year. It just seems to be literally popping up and having application to just everything that I have been having to concentrate in on and am engaged with this year. And uh, love the Lord, love others, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, more and more. Um, Last Sunday... Uh, for the past Sundays, we've been in First Thessalonians chapter 4. Turn there, if you would, in your Bibles. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, the last couple Sundays, we've been in the first uh, eight verses of that uh, chapter, and it's been about uh, verse 3, uh, what is the will of God for you? It is your sanctification. It is what is described as in verse 1, as you're walking to please the Lord more and more. As uh, I was ta- have talked about, it's in the Lord, for the Lord, more and more. Uh, essentially, what the beginning chapter of, uh, beginning context of chapter 4 is all about is loving God. It's, it's loving God more and more and that expressed in our lives. Uh, so if it's been about loving God and living for the Lord more and more, I wonder what's going to be next. Well, what the Lord has been teaching me over the years is probably it has something to do with loving others and gee golly wish, yep, take a look at verse nine. First uh, Thessalonians chapter four, verse nine. Now concerning, in other words, uh, a bit of a transition of subject, uh, now concerning something else, now concerning, I have the English standard version, it says brotherly love. I believe in the New International Version, um, it, it says love for one another. Uh, sure enough, we have been talking about this, what is based in this reality of loving God more and more, living for him more and more, and now we can't get away with, get away from that without having this transition into talking about loving one another in here. Now, the the language of it is now concerning, in the Greek, it's Philadelphia's. So I'm going to kind of work off of this, grabbing this word Philadelphia, uh, not because for some reason I love Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, that's not what this is talking about, but that's the word there and I kind of want to run with it here for a bit. So now concerning Philadelphia, Uh, Philadelphia, by the way, it's a noun here, a person, place, or thing, so it's like now we're talking about this place, we're talking about this thing, we're talking about what is really a people, okay? Now concerning a people, and the word has this idea of a loving people. It is a horizontal-focused love, this word in the Greek, Philadelphia, Philadelphia. And so out of this, we have this loving one another. It's a title for, so interesting. 
It's a title for, it's not the action of. What is the action? We're going to find that here in just a second. By the way, if I were to go by Lucas Oil Stadium and I were to say, that is a football stadium, uh, that would be true because why? Because football actually happens there, right? The action of football takes place there, therefore it is a... Okay, you're with me. If we were to uh, be in the rainforest and I were to say, this is a rainforest, it is a rainforest because what happens in that forest? It rains. If it didn't rain, you would go, no, it's not. It's just a forest, right? Wouldn't you? (laughs) Second service, come on, get a little testy with me. Wouldn't you? I mean, you'd be like, no, that's not a rainforest. That's just a forest and you're making me mad. Okay, (laughs) listen, what this is talking about is this is saying that, hey, now concerning a loving community, now concerning a loving community of people, hey, it is not that if a loving community of people is not really happening. Part of my point that's going on here is we're starting out with this noun, this Philadelphia is the word in the original language. This, This is giving kind of a title for something that it's not that if something is not happening with it. And we're gonna find out what that is here in a second. A loving community is not a loving community if it is not a loving one another community. Now concerning a Philadelphia people. Let's work the text here and see where this goes. Now concerning uh, Philadelphia, brotherly love, you have no need of anyone to write to you for you yourselves have been taught by God. By the way, I just want to pause there for a second. That's pretty interesting here. Because you've been taught by God. Uh, that, That either can carry the idea of you have been taught by God through the experiences of life of this or it could have the idea that literally God has been working in you, teaching you what this is. I would actually suggest it's both. Uh, Listen, what we are talking about here in this whole Philadelphia people thing, this uh, loving community thing, I want for us to understand this. This is not talking about this for anything, anywhere of people that get together. This is unique unto itself because God is divinely involved in it. This kind of Philadelphia community, this kind of loving community that uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy and the Lord are taking us to is not something that happens at the PTA. This is not something that happens uh, where you work. This is not something that is talking about, that that is taking place in a city or a county or state governing kind of a thing. It's not at the Chamber of Commerce kind of a thing. It's not a Peace Corps kind of loving community. This is something that God is divinely teaching, empowering, and allowing for, okay? This is speaking in the context of the local church, In a day and age where love one another gets kind of thrown around everywhere, it's kind of the idea that we should be loving each other here just like you love each other at the PTA. And I want to say we should be a loving people all over the place, but there should be something unique happening among God's people that they gather together as a church. God is teaching his people to be this. 
We are not this by self-declaration. We are not this by self-empowerment. We are this by God working in us and through us and us engaging with him in the spirit of God doing a work among us that this happens. A Philadelphia people is not just anywhere. A Philadelphia people is where God is being a part of the whole working of it. It's a divine thing. Now concerning Philadelphia people. You have no need of anyone to write to you for you yourselves have been taught by God to, here's the verb, love one another. Uh, A loving community is a loving people when love is happening there. Uh, An agape community here. Um, We've heard that word before. Loving one another. We've, We've seen that in uh, 1 Corinthians 13. If you were here a while ago, we, we took a look at this chapter. This is a very well-known chapter. It talks about love, and, and it starts out talking about uh, the word, uh, different uh, words for love in uh, the Greek language, and this is agape, and it describes what it is. And you commonly heard 1 Corinthians 13 read at weddings, and man, what a fantastic uh, chapter or section of Scripture to be reading. But I will also tell you this. I, I don't think that most people really understand even what it's talking about. It's not talking about a hallmark, touchy-feely love. It's not talking about that kind of love where it's just like really easy and like, you know what, man, I just love, like, love you. It's not talking about that. It's talking about something much deeper, something much harder. Agape love, in fact, I'd like for us to read down the list here of what agape is out of 1 Corinthians 13. And I'll just start it with this. The love we are about to read that is up on the screen out of 1 Corinthians 13, only God can make this happen. Only the Spirit of God at work and God's people can do this. Let's read this. All together. Okay, here we go. Agape is patient, kind, it does not envy, not boasting, not arrogant, not rude, not insistent, not irritable, not resentful, not rejoicing at wrong, but rejoicing with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. Now, as for being a Philadelphia people, we're to be that. There's one of those things you could look at that list and go, but that's impossible. (laughs) I mean, seriously, that's like impossible for us to do. I I think we could all agree that we have failed at this sometime this week. Am I right? Probably even sometime this day, right? Okay, but here's the thing. When God is calling us here, and we'll see it in the text in just a second, the call is not to be perfect at this. I'm going to give it away. The call is to be more and more of this. Okay? Now, as we take a look at this, it is not impossible. Because look at the text. 
as, as we see it here. Uh, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for us to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, verse 10, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers, sisters throughout Macedonia. I mean, here's one of these things where it's, it's kind of, again, it's like, how encouraging is that? Paul, Silas, and Timothy are writing to this people in this church in Thessalonica that is a totally massively secular culture in it all. And he's writing them, and they're really newer converts are coming to Christ. And he's writing them, and he's like, dudes, you are, I'm sure it's dudes, but dudes, it's like you are so loving one another. That is so awesome in an agape kind of way. You are doing that. How encouraging is that? They are not self-declaring themselves to be it. They, someone else is confirming the reality of this. And I do not think that Paul, Silas, and Timothy or the Lord would be saying this if this were not true. This is something that these people, this church, had on their mind. They were pursuing after it. Now know this. It's one of these things. By the way, it says throughout Macedonia. That's even beyond their city. That's beyond their uh, own walls, if you will. It was beyond their walls in it. And here is a people that is loving within, but is also loving uh, God's people without. Uh, in it. Just very, very cool. You read that, and there's one aspect of this where you could go, that is so cool. Those people, they arrived at it. They achieved it. They have it. And now it's kind of at a point where they can just kind of stay there. Just keep doing what you're doing. Just stay right at that point. Uh, And the answer to that is, no, that's not what's being said here. Let's keep reading. For indeed, that is what you are doing to all the brothers through Macedonia. And then what's the first word after that? And start the next sentence. But or yet in the New International Version. In other words, they're saying, listen, you are doing that. But yet there's something more with this that's going on. But yet what? But we urge you, by the way, that word urge we saw in chapter 4, verse 1. Finally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus. This is, this is, this urging, this is not a suggestion word. This is not a, gee golly, I really wish it would be nice. It would, it would just make me feel warm and fluffy if you did this. It's not that. It's, it's closer to a command. It's a loving command. Now, now, listen, you're doing that, but I'm telling you something. I'm asking something of you. I'm pressing into you on something. I'm exhorting you. I'm urging you, brothers and sisters, to do this. You tell me what it says next. More and more. Here's um, actually an encouraging reality of loving others and loving the Lord is that none of us have arrived. Now, there's a part of that that's discouraging because it's like, I want to arrive. But the fact is, in all of this, the, the Christian life, loving God and loving others is never an arrival point. And what we have a struggle with is we become satisfied we do have an arrival point view too often. With the Lord, like, you know what my relationship with the Lord? It's satisfactory. The Lord's like, seriously? Hey guys, tell your wife that. Hey honey, I just want you to know, this thing, this is satisfactory. That ain't going anywhere. 
And with the Lord, that is not the thing. And the Lord here is calling us to love one another. By the way, do understand the context of this. We are to love everyone, but the context clearly of this is about God's people being a Philadelphia people. This is clearly a discussion of an inward-pointed love to one another. Okay, that's the the conversation being had. And in this conversation, there is never an arrival point. And so if you are brand new in Christ and you are like uh, just about to make your first step on the ladder of loving others uh, like Christ loved the church, uh, or if you know Christ and, and for a time and you have been like running up the ladder and you're on step 20, here's the really cool thing. For both, the call is exactly the same. It is never about an arrival point. It is always about growing at it more and more. There is no one who is farther in it. There is a reality that everyone is in it. And the in it is working to be people who love more and more who love one another more and more in an agape kind of a way. It's not the kind of thing where, boy, this week I walk into this building with these people and I just just feel more love than I felt last week and that I felt the week before. That's not what this is talking about. This is an agape, is an acting love. You see, as you go down the list on the screen there, all of those words that are used there are action words. You don't do them alone. They're always with others. It's things that we're not to do. It's things that we are to do. And the whole idea is more and more of that, more and more of that. We can all grow in that. We never arrive. By the way, there's a hopeful thing in the more and more. Just like in the, your sanctification, and the text talked about it in, in the earlier verses of chapter 4, it also said more and more. We're to be a people that are hungry to love the Lord more and to love one another more. That should be yearning within us stirring within us, pressing us and pushing us. And here's the thing when I say all of that, there's a big part of this where we all know that we could grow in that, right? I just want for you to know, I mean, I'm, I'm a normal person just like you. And um, I'm not always so great at loving the Lord in an agape way and loving other people. You know, one of the things that we all have in common, we just have this really unique way about thinking that we are the center of the universe. In our home, every so often, we would call each other Axis because, hey, Axis, everything does not revolve around you. Oh, that hurt. That hurt. Hey, we're called to love the Lord. We're called to love one another. Urged, exhorted, commanded, more and more. Never having arrived, more and more. And in that, more and more means that we, like we talked last week, means that we fall and fail. We're not always so great at loving other people. We're not always so great at loving one another. Fall and fail is included in more and more because if there was more, any more and more call means that there's more to be done, right? 
And that assumes the reality of fall and fail. We're all there in that reality of it. So it's not about achieving a certain mark. It's about pressing ahead. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need of anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God. This is a divine thing, to agape one another. For that is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers, all the sisters throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, we urge you, sisters, to do this again. How? Look at verse 11, and to aspire, and to aspire. It doesn't stop with the urge. It's like an urging to do this more and more and an urging to aspire to something. Uh, uh, Let me read it, verse 11, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. Boy, now that's a verse that kind of sounds like the perfect verse that you want to read when you are just... Worn from people. Tired of people, right? You know, it just sounds like, you know, in times with your friends where you're just kind of like, you know, I'm just done with y'all. Or it's like, uh, you know, irritating each other as spouses or, or kids or siblings or maybe your parents. I hard to believe your parents could ever irritate you. <laughs> or just people, just God's people. And sometimes you're like, I just want a break from them. This is, seems like to be that glowing verse to run to that, that calls us that we can do that. Here's the thing. That's not what this verse is talking about. Let me clarify what's going on here. What's the context? The context of the text is calling us to love one another how? More and more. So if the call is to love more and more before even getting into it, all of a sudden if we have a verse that says, you know what, but pull away. Something doesn't make sense, am I correct? Okay, so if the call is more and more, what's going on here? Well, let me give you a statement and then kind of explain it. What we're about to, what we just read here, this is an exhortation from the Lord for his people to order their lives so that we can love one another more and more. The exhortation here is that of God calling his people to order your and my life together in such a way that we can actually love one another more and more. Because you look at this and you go, well, how am I going to do that more and more? The text just told us. Okay, let's walk through this. What's just said is not a call for relationship isolation. It is a call for further relationship engagement but it doesn't sound like it. No, I think you'll understand here in just a moment as to what's going on. We urge you to aspire to. In other words, I think in New International Version, New American Standard says your ambition is to be. This is something we're to have an ambition for. We're to have an aspiration for. It's we're to be zealous about. We're to strive eagerly for it. In other words, it's not like when you feel like it or when it's convenient for you. There's an aspiration that should be going on, aspiring to want to do something here. And to do what? Aspire to live quietly. Aspire to mind your own affairs and aspire to work with your hands. Okay, these are all helping us learn how to love one another more and more. Let me set the context. What was taking place in Thessalonica was theologians talk about likely two things or maybe both of the two. One of them, because the text as we move in 
further, begins talking about the parousia, the, the, the return of the Lord. That was a big deal. Think about it back in that day. You come to Christ and you hear that Christ is going to return and you don't have all the New Testament. You don't have all the explanation. And in that day, you're thinking that the, the Lord is returning soon. His return is imminent. And, and in that imminency of it, you are thinking like next week, like next month, like soon. And so what do you do? Hey, if you thought for sure that the Lord's coming back like the end of next month, what would you do? I think you would probably quit your job as a possibility because it's like, got a month left? I'm going to focus this. And what happens then is so people are in this and they're all wound up about the return of the Lord, which frankly, I think it's a really good thing to get wound up about the return of the Lord. But it has gotten to a point in Thessalonica where they are so wound so tightly about this that they are making poor decisions about it. They're getting involved in everyone's business about it. They're, they're, they're making this the noisy thing of their life of it all in the, return of the, in, in the return of the Lord. Everything is about it every day, every conversation, and frankly, it's pulling away from the center of the target, which is to love the Lord and others more and more. Now, I'm all about theological conversations and things, but I got to tell you, there are times where theological conversations get too wound up and they become the thing. And it's easy to have theological conversations, let me say it this way, it's easier to have theological debates and conversations than it is to live for the Lord. See what I'm saying? And when you get all wound up about that, you get off of this. Now, the other uh, option that is out there that is talked about from the text here in the context of what was going on is that God's people in Thessalonica were all getting wound up about public affairs things. I don't have time to go into it more, but back in that day, uh, all of the, the, the religious gods of, of what was going on carried directly into the, your, your business dealings and your trades and everything. So all of this was tightly tied together. And so Individuals who are coming to the who had come to the Lord, knew in the Lord, they were all amped up about the Lord, and they were amped up in the public arena of it all. And they're taking all of this into politics. They're taking and they're they're getting so wired up in politics. They're getting so wired up into the public affairs of what's going on with it that actually it's causing problems coming back on them as a as a people in it all. And I would love to talk more about both of these because. It often happens today. People get so wound tightly in the whole details of trying to figure out the timing of the return of the Lord, which the conversations are fine, but get so tight in it that they lose sight of the center of the call to love the Lord and love others. And others get so wound up in politics that they lose the center of loving the Lord and loving others. And as believers, we end up getting off track. And what's happening here is Paul, Silas, and Timothy and the Lord are giving us some suggestions in light of that context. Okay, so let's work them now. Number one, aspire to live quietly. 
This is a call to order your life in a certain way. In other words, think about it. If you're all wound up in the return of the Lord stuff, if you are all tightly wound about politics in it all, you're being, let me term it this way, you're being noisy about those things. And I think the text is calling us back to a quiet. Quiet yourself down. Listen, friend, the Lord is going to return one day. I hope it's before the tribulation because I want out. If that doesn't work, I'm mid-trib. And if that doesn't work, I'm post-trib. But I just want for you to know the Lord's coming back. And that should have a motivating reality in things. But know this, that is not the central thing. We're to be wound up about loving the Lord and loving others. And sometimes that means, whether it's public affairs stuff or theology stuff, sometimes we need to quiet ourselves down and get back on center and love the Lord and love others. Hey, know this. You can deeply and profoundly Love the Lord and God's people in Russia, in China, in North Korea, in Canada, in South America, in Australia, and in the United States. In whatever time of God's redemptive history, let's get wound up about loving the Lord and loving others. The politics is not the driving factor. Even the time of redemptive history is not the driving factor. We can love the Lord and love one another unlike any other people at any time in history and on anywhere on this earth. And we're to do that. We're to do that. Live quietly. We see around here in Harvest, big God, small me. If I were to talking about it and loving others, I would say this, big others, small me. Quiet it down about the noisiness or the things of your own life so that you can key in on loving other people. Along with that, it goes from uh, live quietly and to mind your own affairs. If you tend to be someone who's all in everybody else's business and and thinking about how everybody else is doing or not doing walking in the Lord, I want to love on you enough to say, hey, it's time to quiet down and to mind your own affairs. What affairs is that? The affair of loving the Lord and loving one another. You see, see, see where this is coming? We we are so distracted. We are squirrels chasing shiny objects all the time. And the text here is saying, quiet it down, calm your life down, mind in on your own affairs, including the affair of exactly what we're supposed to be doing here, loving others more and more. Matthew chapter seven, verses one through five, talks about how, uh, stop, stop trying to go and get the speck out of other people's eyes, and how about this, just turn around and start working on the log in your own eye. I think that's what this is talking about. 
that idea. It's like stop comparing yourselves with everyone. Stop getting at everyone else's business. Stop playing all that kind of game and just turn it around and consider where you are at and actually carrying this out with the Lord. Live quietly. Mind your own affairs. And third, aspire to work with your hands. Kind of associated with all this is that uh, what was taking place is that, now think about it, if, if God's people, some of God's people are, are quit their jobs and are waiting for the Lord to return and then the Lord isn't returning and then you're running out of cash and you're getting low and, and, and those that still have funds are helping each other because that's loving one another. As time goes on, that begins carrying more and more of a weight on the whole of it all. And, and in it, it's, it's kind of the idea of, hey, those that are able-bodied individuals... Work. Work. You know, we live in a culture that somehow uh, wrongly gives the idea that laziness is really cool. And by the way, especially for men. Men, you need to hear it. Laziness is so not cool. God created us to work. Genesis chapter 1 and following. I don't even think in heaven, heaven is not going to be like this kicked out lazy in the lazy boy chair with the remote in our hand. I actually think we are going to be working in the glory of the Lord. And it's going to be awesome. And men, we need to hear it that there's this laziness that draws us, that we just withdraw from life and relationships with people. And there's this idea for all able-bodied individuals, listen, we are not to be lazy. We are to be doing everything we can to work hard, to care for our lives so that in the context of the day, so that we do not become a burden to the whole. We don't use each other. We love one another. And what was happening in the day with decisions that were being made by some of God's people, all of these decisions were having implications that were weighing God's family down in such a way that it was burdening them with things that they couldn't do as much uh, as, they, as, as, as they could in loving the Lord and loving each other. And one of the ways we can be more effective at loving one another is to be noisy about others, quiet about yourself. Turn around and focus on your own affairs of life so that we can serve more. And in it all as well as to be people who work with our hands. And those that are in need, let's help. Let's love on them, right? But God's people are to be unlike any other people. And by the way, the last verse, or work with your hands as we instructed you, and I think this last part applies to the working item, is so that you may walk properly before outsiders and to be, be dependent on no one. Let me pull this together. Oftentimes this passage can be read as a passage to where we're to love one another more and more and then us Americans and how we think we're, we're, we, we are incredibly independent people and there's some strengths of that and some weaknesses of that. The weakness of our independence is we use these verses sometimes to go, ah, I get to isolate myself from everybody and not have to serve. No, that is not what the text is saying. The text is actually calling us to order our lives in such a way that we can love one another more and more. 
I do not want for today's text to be a guilt text. I do not want for you to leave today feeling like, I stink at this. Okay? I do not want that. What I want to have happen is for us to walk away going, wow, I needed to be reminded that a core part of what I am called to be and do is to love one another. And my church family, I am, to be call, I am called to be loving them more and more. And whether you are brand new here or you've been here for our eternity, <laughs> that is something that fits for you and I, right? We're to leave here encouraged to consider how can you order your life to love this group of people more and more? That's what it's saying. It's a call to ordering your life. And so I want to leave you with that. I want to encourage you this week for you to be thinking, what can I do in my life to love these people more and more? We're not talking about jumping from being a one to a 20. We're talking about jumping from a one to a 1.1. Well, Doug, you have a low bar. That's right. It's a more and more bar. It's just more and more. How can you orient your life, even this week, to love God's people more and more? So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, agape, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same agape love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why am I reading that passage? Because our Savior, the second person of the Trinity, I think I can rightly say it this way, reordered himself to be able to step into our world to love on us all the way to the cross for us. If our Savior does that for us, I think that we can do some reordering of our lives as well, correct? Because actually... By doing that, that's not a guilt call. That's actually motivated to look more and more like my Savior. That's the call. Lord, thank you for the time. Now as we prepare to 
take communion together. God, I just pray in this time that we would use this as a time to focus in on who you are and what you have done. Really, the, the, the call here out of the text is a call to be more like you. To love one another more and more in a sacrificial warrior love never ending enduring purpose driven sacrificing love poured out more and more And Father, by having this time of communion to focus in on who you are and what you have done, I would pray that this would encourage us, that this rejoicing of the work of the Savior on the cross would cause us to consider increasingly so how we can be more and more like you by ordering our lives to love one another more and more. In Christ's name, amen.